0: Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Phases of the Moon Knight podcast. This is the show where we read a stack of classic Moon Knight comics, then get together and talk about the characters, villains, and stories with an eye towards how these stories may connect to the Disney Plus Moon Knight show that's set to debut on March 30th. We'll also be discussing comic history, comic reading, and other Moon Knight-related news. I am Dwayne, your host, and with me, as always, is my good friend Dan. Dan, welcome. Hey, how's it going? It's going to be a big week. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is. It, it is a big week, uh, both in the way of Moon Knight news and some really, really good comics. But we we need to jump in. We've got a we've got a featurette. We've got some posters, all kinds of fun stuff and uh and and some really good books you are not kidding about the uh being excited to finally get to 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 this volume of moon knights so that is that's really great uh moon knight turns 25 joins another team reconnects with bushman in a very very memorable encounter that we we definitely are going to be talking a lot about but uh but we got a lot of Moon Knight news for the TV show this week that we need to jump into right away. Uh, Let's start with the posters. Did you see these new uh, phases, posters or the uh, persona posters that were released by Marvel? Yeah,
1: they were beautiful, really cool stuff. The, the posters have been, and, and just the promotion in general and, and the work they're doing on this has been fantastic so far. It's, it's not really giving a lot away no but it's definitely setting a mood and sort of of raising interest and excitement and stuff it all just looks extremely well thought out and professional
0: so far yes so we have there's three posters we have one as a uh Stephen grant mark specter in this like hoodie type uh coat thing you have one of Mister Knight, no jacket, sleeves rolled up, looking like he's getting ready to fight, and then we've got the full Moon Knight costume. Uh, the not dissimilar, I think, to the to the one that we saw in the Korean poster last yep. week. Uh, but all three of them look great on this very like white background, and you actually see kind of the other. Personas or the other versions of the posters kind of behind whatever the feature po- pose is in that poster. So, like in the Moon Knight one, you see kind of Grant Spectre on one side and Mr. Knight on the other. And then you see the other two behind Mr. Knight and the other two behind the Mark Spectre, Mark, uh, Stephen Grant one. Yeah. It,
1: if you wanted to look for sort of callbacks, it does have a little bit of a a callback to Moon Knight number one from 1980, the, the Sinkovic cover that has sort of the, the personas and, and, uh, and then Moon Knight kind of hovering above them back in the day. But, uh, but yeah, really nice stuff. Um, and then of course we got the featurette. Yes. Was kind of along with that, which was pretty spectacular. Uh, interesting stuff. Uh, again, didn't give a ton away, but just sort of started giving a few more clues as to how this is going to work. Um, there were some interesting things in there, though. So,
0: Yes, the the thing that jumps out to me is, um, oh, God, I'm blanking on her name, Mae Calloway or something? Yeah, uh, she, or something yeah like she, she says, this is Fight Club meets Indiana Jones. And I loved Fight Club. I love Indiana Jones. And it's like, Those two things were pretty awesome in their own right. And if this is as good as I think this could be based on that description, I think we're in for a real treat.
1: Especially since it's a reasonable description of sort of moon night over the last God knows how many decades really, you know, that, uh, so yeah, it's, it's really everything that we see continues to sort of add to the hype. Um, I also like just the the scenes they're using and and the like. Uh, it is interesting seeing them go into the tomb. That it almost seems like again, uh, volume two and the you know the priests of Khonshu and all that other stuff uh, could actually make a reappearance. Who knows? It's it's kind of <laughs> a, it's it all goes back to volume two right now,
0: which just
1: continues baffle, to baffle me.
0: That baffles your <laughs> baffles your mind. Yeah, I I don't know. It, it felt like you know just even seeing the stuff that we read this week it's like that would make an interesting tv show so it's like the fact that they decided to to at least from an appearance sake go to something different it's like okay that's that's interesting but um but no that it's it's like 90 seconds if you haven't seen it definitely check it out we'll have a link for it in the show notes um it, it, it definitely does bring kind of the uh, hype level to, to sort of a, a fevered pitch. And it's like, I don't, I don't know what else they're going to be able to show us in the next two weeks to get me any more excited about this show than we already are. Yeah.
1: This is weird for me because over the last few years, since they've started doing so many comic book movies, I really don't follow a lot of the, the trailers and the posters and all this stuff as it comes out. The way we've been doing on this one, because we're focusing mm-hmm. on it, and this actually sort of almost brings me back to, you know, back in the day when they were making Iron Man or with the first X Men movies, where you really were sort of hanging on everything that was going on and trying to see, you know, are they are they going to ruin another character or is this one going to turn out better or or how's it going to go? You know, is it going to be X Men or is it going to be Fantastic Four? Right. So, um, but it, it's been interesting that they have been really kind of doling this out relatively slowly so we're getting there though and then you had one other thing a usa
0: story there there was a a story in the entertainment section of usa today this week uh talking talking about the show uh titled oscar isaac's moon knight rises as a marvel superhero with mental health struggles and they, they actually talked in in fairly decent detail about the the fact that they really did look at mental health and and really uh, tried to be very, um, I guess, sensitive would maybe be the word or just kind of um, shine, shine a, a realistic light to it. And, and with regards to this character and everything that, they, that that he goes through, and I feel like it's going to show the effect on people around them which I think sometimes is not necessarily something we see in great detail as well. Um, but I, it it was a a very interesting article and the thing that I took away from it also was it seemed like there was an intimation that we might not have seen all the personas of Stephen Grant, Mark Spector, Moon Knight, that, that, that we've, we, there might be more in the series you know, than we've seen so, so like, far
1: that is definitely going to be the case and and i think that you know the other thing just in terms of they've obviously started trying to deal with changing their their use of terminology they were using uh, like the term alters when dealing with some of the, the different personalities that they're going to see that sort of thing uh, and then also just an attempt to while still being fictional so obviously they're not going to get it right hollywood never gets anything right those of us who live in Fargo know that you know, they <laughs> yes. never really get everything right when it comes to making a movie, right? Uh-huh. But, uh, but nonetheless, hopefully it will be dealt with in a, in a in a more accurate and and sort of effective manner than it maybe has been in yes. some the previous Moon Knight comics. So,
0: Let's uh, jump into the idea. stack for this week.
1: Stack's relatively compact this week in terms of we're only worried about two things, but there's quite a few issues involved. So we're doing Marvel Knights, number four to number 14. Actually, number 10, Moon Knight's not in, but we're just going to kind of roll through them all anyways there. Uh, And then we're going to head into Moon Knight, volume five, numbers one through 13, which is the entirety of the Charlie Houston run as far as where he was the primary writer. He continues on sort of helping with plots and things like that for a while. But these are essentially the, the Houston run of moon Knight,
0: so, so yeah so let's let's start with marvel knights because i think that one definitely came before volume five right this was early 2000s if i Absolutely, remember correctly yep. this is
1: early 2000s marvel knights itself was a team group that was formed by daredevil they never gave themselves a name it became almost like a running no joke you know hey we've been doing this for a while shouldn't we have a name defenders avengers um uh. So normally if people do talk about them, they call them the Marvel Knights, but that would obviously be a weird thing for Daredevil to call his group because he doesn't know about Marvel, right? He's in Marvel. Right, so right. the group is essentially nameless uh, within the context of the uh, of the comics. But go so ahead what, and so, yeah, tell well, us I'm, about it a little
0: bit. So I, we'll I, I'm i going to focus primarily on the Moon Knight portion of these books because there, there's a lot that goes on here, but... We pick up in issue four with Daredevil, Black Widow, Dagger, and Shang Chi in a diner talking about going after the Punisher. Uh, as as we're seeing this happen, we see a familiar looking cab driver leave the diner. It doesn't appear to be Gina's diner, but it's uh, but but we do see Jake Lockley. It looks like later, Moon Knight catches up with Daredevil on a rooftop and basically says he wants to join his little group and. Moon Knight then spends the next two issues convincing Daredevil the group needs a high tech hideout and that he will finance the whole thing that that it would really help them out and um, yeah th- those two basically just fly around in the copter talking about this while the rest of the team is tracking down trying to track down the Punisher uh, another villain named Cloak who is actually I think this kid named Tyrone that has embodied with some evil spirit thing as not, well as not, some a ass- not a villain just just as a note
1: continue but we'll talk okay. about that later okay
0: and then there's some uh, assassins that are being sent after shang chi by his father so that's that's kind of the beginning of that um so eventually the team catches up with this cloak character uh who banishes Moon Knight, Daredevil, and Black Widow to what I gathered to be some other alternate version of New York. Moon Knight gets roughed up pretty bad and uh, ends up actually getting a help by the Punisher, who had apparently attacked Cloak previously and had also been banished to this alternate New York. Uh, Moon Knight and the Punisher then team up to try and either find Daredevil and Black Widow Or find a way out of New York. So there's a bunch more fighting that occurs with Daredevil and Black Widow and the Punisher and Moon Knight, and they're all doing their thing. And eventually, they end up back in the 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 prime New York or the 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 New York they knew, uh, thanks to Dagger with and there and some sort of portal thing that happened daredevil then sees that the punisher is with them now and he punches him and basically hands him over to the police so that's kind of four through nine uh, of those books
1: so first off it occurs to me that uh the relationship between cloak and dagger has not been very well summed up probably in the books that you were reading there which
0: (laughs) or i missed uh, it is is unfortunate no
1: I, i suspect that by this point, uh, those characters have been around a long time. They actually okay. started in the early 80s, and there were a couple of teens who, um, the runaways, ended up getting uh, experimented on or fed some weird drugs. And in a, uh, they were created by Bill Mantlow and, and a guy named Rick Leonardi, an artist, had some really great stories back in the early 80s. But they're, they're very linked, where Dagger has sort of these, these light powers, Cloak has this ability to sort of, when when he finds someone and puts his cloak around, them, basically it's almost like all of the uh, all, all the heat in the world and everything goes away from them, and they come out just terrified and a mess. It's like a, a weird dark dimension almost, and that's mm. essentially what he would have teleported everybody to. Sure. The most important part of this, though, is that Moon Knight is like this this very persistent, very rich guy who just wants to be a part of the cool club and eventually bides his way onto it yeah um and it's it's kind of a weird bad look for him the the place that he gives them is either part of the old Spectre corp or it's part of his old shadow keep something like that let's let's see how things go in the next (laughs) four or five issues
0: as you mentioned there he's not in issue 10 so after the issue 10 break moon knight returns in issue 11 and decides just kind of on his own to recruit Luke Cage to join the uh, join the team, and uh, says that he'll pay Luke Cage to to basically join the team uh, because he thinks they need more muscle. Uh, that doesn't sit well with Daredevil, nor does this secret hideout that they're using now. He's he's kind of been against it the whole time and hasn't really kind of um, it has it, he hasn't warmed to it. Uh, the same then decides to start tracking down this war criminal that cage coincidentally had recently encountered so the team travels to a bar in weehawken to find the guy and runs into tombstone bullet bengal and big ben because sure Mm -hmm. um fight ensues everyone except dagger is knocked out but when they come to the fighting is over all the bad guys are gone and Dagger is knocked out her herself. Uh, the group travels back to New York in Moon Knight's copter, and Widow and Dagger are dropped up at their apartment, where they find a mechanical Nick Fury is ready to fight. Because sure, uh, Black Widow and um, so Black Widow and Dagger fight Fury while the rest of the team is back at the headquarters. And they are met with uh, Shang Shang Chi's father's assassins. There's uh, lots of fighting that goes on across several books with regards to these fights. Moon Knight takes a set of daggers to the chest from one of, like, the head of the the assassins, and. ends up everybody gets all the assassins get defeated but then the building is going to get blown up as apparently a plan b to the assassin attack uh the group that is at the headquarters narrowly escapes uh in the moon copter which moon knight is piloting and after they basically get out of the building then moon knight collapses and gets taken to the hospital Uh, dagger and widow defeat the the mech version of fury and things Basically, calm down. Um, when we last see uh, Moon Knight, in this case, Mark Spector, he is in the hospital. He gets visited by Luke Cage and Shang Chi. He says that he's going to be in the hospital for a few days for observation, and that with the building exploding, he probably should bow out of the group. And uh, interestingly enough, says that he thinks the team is a trouble magnet, and he's got enough on his plate right now. Is is basically how that ends for Moon Knight there.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And he's uh he's kind of almost looking like he might just be be ready to sort of do a little bit of semi retirement again for a while to kind of just take a little bit of, of time and take it easy. So and, and that's where it ends. Yeah. For about four years, something like that, three years, he's sort of in limbo at that point. And so these, these are, these are interesting for a few reasons, a couple of notes that you may not have, if you were wondering why Luke Cage was being paid, it's because that was actually him and Danny Rand, Iron Fist's sort of thing back when they started was they were heroes for hire, was the idea that, you know, not every hero happens to be a, a billionaire philanthropist. Some people right. have to pay their bills. Yeah. So they would occasionally go out and do jobs for people who needed work done and would, you know, almost like private detectives. Um, but that, yeah, obviously didn't sit well with some people, and Daredevil was one of them. Um, Dagger have talked about a little bit, but she is very powerful. There also, by the way, is a Cloak and Dagger TV series that came oh, yeah. out... Um, not sure if it was on FX or something a few years ago. Went two seasons and actually was really good. I I liked that. I would recommend it if you're interested in those characters. It's a, it's a good one to watch. Would have been nice if they'd been able to continue it. I think that it and Runaways and some other things all kind of got caught up in Marvel's contraction of its interle- intellectual properties after Disney bought them. But it was it was a good show. Okay, uh, and then. Shang-Chi's father, interestingly enough, never named. They just keep calling him Shang-Chi's father and have him in, in like, darkness, so you never really see his face. There's actually copyright reasons for that.
0: Because <laughs> really? Because
1: Shang-Chi's father is actually Fu Manchu, the character who was created by Sax Romer way back in the day. There were a bunch of pop pulp novels. And for a while, Marvel held the license rights to make to make stories with that character. Sure. They then lost that that license, but in the interim, they had actually made Master of Kung Fu stories where they linked Shang-Chi and Fu Manchu together as father oh. and son. And so it's a lesson they maybe learned over time is not to not integrate characters you don't own that closely into your continuity. But that's kind of what happened there. And oh. so ever since it's been kind of weird in the actual movie that just came out, they made him the Mandarin's kid instead to sort right. of move away from that chronology. But in the actual comic books, um, his father remains nameless because they don't have the rights to say his name. So
0: that's great. Actually, <laughs> it's
1: just, just kind of strange. The, so anyway,
0: so, so the, these whole books, they, it was, it was an all right story. Like, as far as an overall story, I don't really think Moon Knight added to this story in the slightest. Like, you could have had these books without Moon Knight in it, and it would have been just fine. It would have been, it would have made zero difference. The art in these books was was solid, um, but like not the best or not the worst that we've seen. But I just, I don't know, I left reading those books. I got through them in two days, because uh, I kind of just skipped i i I didn't they didn't grab me the story just was like meh i i I don't really care and like i i'm like there's there's something better coming along there's got to be something better coming along and
1: keep in mind also is if you're moon knight fan these books are disorienting because this is not really a particularly good look at Moon Knight himself like this doesn't feel like Moon Knight the character somebody who would be desperate to join a team he's sort of been desperate to stay off of teams for most of the time we've known him and he's got a very small core of people he trusts that he wants to work with and other than that he kind of runs into a few people so again he'd been out of a series for a few years they were looking for a place to maybe try and use him and they just sort of shoehorned him in this is not important to Moon Knight chronology, other than the fact that uh, there's a number of characters he maybe hasn't spent a lot of time interacting with outside of these books. Uh, there's really no particular reason why you'd have to read these to be up on Moon Knight. So I think, okay. I think it might be best, considering what we've got coming up, to just say goodbye to these and that uh, they occurred, and the main thing about them was as of the end of these, Moon Knight is semi-retired and seems to be sort of some character that, that Marvel really doesn't have a great idea what they want to do with or how they're going to use them.
0: Yeah. That, that's, that makes sense, which, which really kind of makes the first couple issues of Moon Knight volume five that much more impactful in my, in my estimation start talking to us about moon knight volume five dan sure so going into this i do want to
1: preface just one thing by the way and that is that when these came out moon knight had been away for a while and marvel didn't really know what to do with them and so what you had was a perfect sort of ecosystem for what are some of my favorite comics A lot of times the best comics come about when you've got a character that Marvel or DC no longer is particularly invested in to the point where they're protecting that character from crazy things and so a creator can come along who if he wants to take some chances and do something cool can sort of redefine the character and maybe get away with things that you would not be able to get away with once that character is established or you know, if that if that character was doing well and selling a lot of comics at that time. So the fact that Moon Knight had spent about three years in the Wasteland at this point is sort of how we got the crazy set of books that, that are coming up here in the next part. So, let's go ahead and take a look. The, the story that, that begins in Moon Knight Volume 5, Number 1, uh, actually shows Moon Knight in sort of his prime form. He is out... Hunting the night, just uh, taking out criminals left and right, Frenchie's up in the copter, uh, then he goes home to the mansion where Marlene's waiting for him. The whole thing is absolutely perfect. It's almost too good to be true. And in fact, it absolutely is too good to be true. We find out that the first half or so of the book is either a dream or a memory that Spectre is reliving. Um, and in fact, Moon Knight himself has had a pretty rough few years. He's sitting in a wheelchair alone in a gloomy room. He's got nothing with him except painkillers and the Kontru statue to keep him company. Uh, we then find out his injuries were sustained in a brutal fight with Bushman, at the end of which he ended up killing his archenemy and actually literally carved his face off with a moon dart.
0: Mm-hmm. It is
1: every bit as gross as it sounds, by the way. Yes, if you it haven't is. read the issue, it is, it is a very, very. Brilliantly drawn by by David Finch. Brutal. brutal, yeah. brutal fight scene. Um, Crawley then stops by to deliver some painkillers, uh, manages to trick Spectre to go out to visit Jean-Paul. Over lunch, Jean-Paul introduces Mark to his partner, Rob, and a few hours after the meeting, Jean-Paul and Rob are both attacked, resulting in a relatively immediate and violent response from Spectre, who gets up from his, his moping, goes out, and just absolutely wrecks the guy who assaulted Sean um, paul and his friend. Uh, as this is happening, there's a man known as The Profile. This, by the way, is his first appearance. We'd never heard of The Profile before. I knew know okay. no more about him than you do at that point.
0: I, I, I was uh, wondering. He's, he's
1: talking to a group of people that's composed of the children of the original committee that hired Moon Knight back in the day. Uh, they sent Bushman evidently about two years ago, after Spectre, uh, to have the fight, to try and cripple him, to try and start bringing him down. Uh, and now they're trying to break him to their purposes, sort of psychologically, to avenge their parents. They want to make him an agent to the committee again, to sort of prove that they're better than their parents and to avenge themselves on Moon Knight. After that attack on Jean-Paul goes wrong, though, they then abort the whole mission, decide it's just too dangerous, and they call in Taskmaster, to kill Spectre and all of his friends for them, and Taskmaster, this is this is a serious bad guy in the in the Marvel universe. He's been around. He fights just about everybody, and he pretty much never actually loses. Um, his power essentially is that he can mirror anyone else's fighting style and things like this. He's extremely tough to beat. Um, so we see Spectre then back at his apartment. He's visiting with his statue. Khonshu's taken on the appearance of a faceless Bushman, uh, and he's actually sitting there. The two of them are arguing. Eventually they come to an agreement about Moon Knight kind of going back out and starting to do some some vengeance for Khonshu just about the time that uh, Marlene arrives. She finds Spectre sitting there talking to the statue, thinks he's crazy, which he probably is. Well, She gives him a pretty good and and probably well-deserved chewing out and then Taskmaster busts in right in the middle of this. He makes Spectre Watcher a revenge monologue videotape from the committee, and then proceeds to start killing Merlene and Spectre before sort of suddenly being defeated by Samuels, shooting him with what appears to be like yeah. some eighteenth century blunderbuss or something. Yeah. So this guy's taken on the Avengers and you know Moon Knight's butler takes him out with one shot, which is a little bit odd. But so after saving the day, Samuels then drives them back to the mansion. They head down into the, the cave and get ready. Moon Knight puts back on his costume. He gets geared up to do some vengeance. Uh, and then the first story arc ends with him crashing the Moon Copter into the committee's office, pretty much killing most of them from the looks of it, and then taking on Taskmaster, who is there sort of reporting on and quitting the job. Uh, this time Moon Knight does beat Taskmaster, beats him relatively badly. It looks like he may have also torn his face off, sort of the same way he did um, Bushman, but that is a little bit unclear. I didn't go in and research exactly how that all ended. Um, He then reconnects with various levels of success with his various supporting cast, and the first arc comes to a close. So what do you think, Dwayne?
0: This, This was a crazy, crazy opening. Um, I, I have to tell you, I was so disoriented after the end of the first book, I did not know what was going on. And it actually took reading the introduction paragraph in book two for me to totally understand what happened. Because the whole idea of the the kind of the memory or dream sequence there at the beginning... Uh, You know, about the perfect life and him just going up and beating, beating up these, this, this low level street crime that, that the Avengers don't have time for, uh, you know, was, was the fun stuff, he called it. Uh, And, and it just, I, I did, you see that and you see it for several pages and then all of a sudden you see this full page shot of him in the wheelchair in this like apartment with this like statue covered up behind him, beer bottles and painkiller bottles and all this. And you're just like, and then you see like these flashes of him, like, you know, arguing with Jean Paul and uh, like slapping Marlene and all this sort of thing. You're like, Oh my God, what the heck is going on here? And, and, and it just, the art across this was just amazing. Like I, 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 these guys look like tanks again. Like the, the Steven sure. Plant, they look like tanks again. But because I kind of saw some of that before now, it wasn't as jarring. But like the level of violence, you're talking about the Bushman fight in the, in the second issue. That was some of the most graphic violence in a comic book I've ever seen. It was, it was gross there was Uh limbs and just the and then the 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 fact that this faceless bushman suddenly is now just kind of with him everywhere talking to him uh, as conchu was just was was interesting but like crazy at the same time i I, i i cannot believe that this is the same character almost but at the same time this is some of the most interesting to- storytelling we've seen uh for moon night and and not just yep. like in a set of books it just feels like this could go on indefinitely and 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 like I, I i texted you after the first two books i'm like i can't wait to read the next one and and that's how i felt throughout all of these these are Excellent. great Yep, and now
1: I will note that going back to when these came out, I was so frustrated by issue number one. Cause I had been waiting as a as a Moon Knight fan, I'd been waiting years from to from get a book again. Uh-huh. And I'd been reading Charlie Houston's books, which he'd been doing something called the the Joe Pitt case books, which was a series of, of vampire novels set in New York that came out sort of in the I'd read at least one or two of them by the time that he started writing Moon Knight and they were fantastic. If any of you haven't read them, I would highly recommend going out and taking a look at those if you're interested in sort of some some almost more like uh, like film noir vampires type of of books. But and then of course David Finch spectacular I've been I've been enjoying his art for a long time. And then you get to the end of the first issue and you know everything's going well. Hey, it's Moon Knight. And then I crash into the end and you know the guy I've been waiting to come back is sitting there broken and drugged out in a wheelchair. I'm like, okay, now I got a month to wait. Right. <laughs> you you were able you were able to just pick up the next book right. and know what happened, right? Uh-huh. I'm like, what the f- did they do to Moon Knight? So, yeah, that was that was a little bit that was a little bit frustrating there at first. Um, but nonetheless you had to just trust that these guys knew what they were doing, right? And over the next few issues, they just built this story that was amazing. Um, Finch actually started out at Top Cow back in the 90s. So he was working, I think, with Mark Silvestri. And so he comes out of that same image group. And they did have the, the overbuilt bodies and a lot of the really crazy action poses and everything. But Finch was just such a good artist that he... He adds all of that sort of realism and keeps everything in good proportions. So, yeah, they're big, but everybody looks still really, really well-defined. And also, mm-hmm. when you look at stuff like the way he's doing the um, like the weird facem- faceless Bushman Khonshu, that could have just been really done by an artist that didn't have his talent. It would have been a lot less effective. But it was almost like this crazy comedic relief type of thing that you got besides anyone yeah. else. Um, it was just fantastic. So um, Danny Miki did the inks. He'd been around for quite a long time. Most prolific inkers, respected inkers in the business. Um, so this was him at the top of his game. And then Frank Damada on colors. Um, he also came out of, like, Top Cow. And... If you note the coloring on this, it's almost more like paintings than it is color in a lot of ways. Because we've now gotten to the point where the papers are better and they can do some stuff. They're doing digital coloring. And the difference now between when you look at a a black and white inked page and you look at what's actually the final copy of the comic is just crazy. Because what they can do with the skies and the clouds and everything else...
0: There, there, that that, sh- that shot of him in the wheelchair the thing I could not get over is the window if you look at the window you look at the sky that's outside it looked like a actual photograph and they show that, that sky out the window in this apartment several more times across the first like two or three issues and I just could not get over what that looked like I was like this is a, this has to be a photograph here this does not look like a drawing. Yeah.
1: we're at the stage now where a really good colorist can make a, a substantial impact on on the art and do some really tremendous stuff to, to take things to the next level and Dermada is is a really really excellent colorist so all of the all of this really came together in that when you're looking at these first issues it's just a ton of of really talented people just doing whatever they want to do because nobody's watching them, right? And then the, other, the only other thing I would note is that uh, there was the virtual calligraphy studio with Joe Caramagna uh, uh, where did the lettering. I'm not exactly sure how much of it was done by him and how much it might have been done by the studio because lettering is sometimes worked in, in sort of packs as a studio then. The lettering was actually the only thing in this book that I didn't necessarily love. Because I noticed a few times as I was going on, it was almost like the, the lettering was too small, like the font was too small or something. Um, it, it wasn't something that I really hated, but I do think that the lettering was the one thing that that maybe in this book wasn't exactly um, kind of what I would have liked it to be. So
0: I, there, was, there was some boxes of words throughout this that, like, I couldn't tell if there was, like, a narrator telling me what was going on or if it was something in his head that was going on or what was going on exactly. And I don't yep. know if that was the lettering or if that was how how the inking was done. But, like, I, 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 I will agree that there was a I I had a bit of confusion when it came to that sort of thing. Yeah. And
1: some of that would have been the way the script was done and some of it might have been that the letterer just didn't do... Quite a good enough job, sort of defining where these words were coming from and and what the purpose of them was. So, nonetheless, overall, this is just fantastic. I mean, you had you had it essentially a story where Moon Knight returns. He returns against his biggest foe. He definitively takes out his biggest foe, and then he goes toe to toe against the Taskmaster. Who uh, actually got an email uh, from one of our one of our listeners who, who reminded me that. Taskmaster's only actually been defeated three times in the Marvel Universe, and and this is one of them, Uh, just outright defeats in in battle. So, yeah, he had the Mooncopter to help him, but he did take him out afterward. Big foes, big battles, but then behind that, too, you know, you see some major character uh, changes. Marlene is dealt with, I think, a lot more effectively, and we'll see that in the next story as well. Um, Frenchie, we see that he is uh, his partner, is a man, Rob. Uh, turns out he was always gay. And this is something where they actually talk about one of the reasons why he stayed with him that long. Right. Is that he'd always sort of, you know, loved Spectre. Um, and Spectre was clueless to all of this all along. And he eventually gets a little angry. He's like, well, you know, you didn't tell me and the like. He's like, yes, like, I did. I every told day. you
0: all the time. <laughs> and, um, and he's like, well, what about the women? And he's like, yeah. well, that was... You know that was a beard. That was not. That was me trying to pick this up. And and like, did Marlene know? Yes, Marlene knew. And and yeah, pretty much was... everybody.
1: So, but I think they they incorporated that very effectively. Yeah. And made it a very interesting part of the story. Rob comes in and immediately becomes part of sort of the the cast of characters that ends up supporting Moon Knight in his crazy quest. Um, French or no, French? Not French John Paul. I got to put. Got to get out the old Frenchy quarter jar again. I suspect yeah. uh, Jean Paul does not want to go back to running the copter, but they then find Ray, who is essentially uh, you know one of Gina's kids. He's come back from military service where he was flying choppers, and now he takes over in the moon copter. Everything about this was really well thought out. I will also note though that one of the more interesting things about it is reading the letters column at the end of issue one. Yeah. Because that's where, essentially, Charlie Houston talks about the fact that he'd been a Moon Knight fan since he was a kid. And I love the, the quote he's got at the end of, or, or somewhere in there, kind of near the end. So this is not mentioned Sienkiewicz's Moon Knight. It's the Moon Knight they carved behind my eyes. It is the Moon Knight I saw in those stories they told me decades ago. And, and he talks about how he was visiting with someone at Marvel about doing comics, potentially. And they said, yeah, have you ever heard of Moon Knight? And that was basically the end. He knew he was going to be writing it because this is the character he loved. So it is really a love letter to Moon Knight, but it's also one person's vision of that. So the other interesting thing is it also pretty much just skips the 90s and the early 2000s and everything because... Charlie Houston is res- is responding and reacting directly to the Mensch Sinkevich run right. of the early eighties, right? He's using those characters, he's using that sort of of world and just sort of hopscotching over everything else.
0: I and mean, he I think I mean, yeah, he, he talks about he didn't want to rehash the same stories again. Seeing what what mark specter had basically turned into you know this drug and alcohol drug addict and alcoholic who's injured and all this that makes perfect sense that if you know he's been doing this for as long as he has that this could that you know things could look rosy but at the same time he's kind of slowly killing himself and and yep. that this could be the result of, of that
1: so yeah pretty pretty amazing first few issues should we take a look at the second half of this run?
0: Yes, let's go. And, going and on. something, going some, Somebody I did not expect that we would see anything more on, Jeff Wilde makes a return. That is yes,
1: correct. Absolutely correct. So, um, in these, Moon Knight's actually now, he's back. He's returned to the streets. He's accompanied by this weird, comically freaky vi- vision of Khonshu, uh, at, which is is showing itself as Bushman with the whole face ripped off, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And he's, he's snarky and he's constantly just making sarcastic remarks and generally just wondering why Moon Knight is not a better servant to him. But Moon Knight has started carving moon symbols into the foreheads of the criminals that he catches, and he doesn't seem to be entirely stable as he's wandering around doing his work these days. We also find, though, that while he's doing this, Jeff Wilde has returned our old Midnight from from back in the day. He's been leaving mutilated bodies around town as a calling card to draw Moon Knight out to him. We note this is actually when John Paul doesn't want to return to the chopper, and so Gina's uh, son Ray returns from the military. He's willing to help out. Captain America stops by to talk about Marvel's ongoing Civil War story arc, which we'll have to visit about. Uh, And Flint reappears to help Moon Knight as well by giving him some info. Moon Knight then has a hard-to-hard talk with the Punisher, tracks down the profile, and gets Jeff Wilde's location in the sewers, of course, where his father had his hideout back in the day. Wilde and his nurse, it turns, are now both horribly disfigured. They've both been sort of taken apart and put back together as cyborgs with sort of half bodies attached to them. Uh, Spectre has, and and the weird thing now is that they're not going chronologically. So these are all the the pictures of Wilde and his nurse and of Moon Knight fighting and of him talking to Marlene and him talking to other people are all interspersed. But Spectre, over the course of the next few issues, has an unsatisfactory discussion with Marlene. Uh, He ends up taking a knee to the groin uh, just as Tony Stark arrives to visit with him. Uh, Tony wants him to get a psych evaluation so that he can apply to get a license to continue being a uh, registered uh, vigilante in the new Civil War registration era. Moon Knight then tracks Midnight to his lair uh, in the sewers, at which point Midnight is found in his new Moon Knight-inspired costume, which looks pretty much like Moon Knight's costume, only with a clock on the front instead of a a moon. Midnight beats Moon Knight down pretty badly, ties him up to a big clock face uh, backwards with his back facing out, and then proceeds to use pliers to start tearing out his vertebrae. And just as he gets ready to do that, the nurse can't take it anymore. She hits Wild with what looks kind of like a replica of Thor's Mjolnir hammer, uh, knocks him, knocks him away, releases Moon Knight, um, and then tells Moon Knight that he was she was hoping that he would kill both her and Wild to release them from their programming in the Recbiot Brodies. So, been a bad few days for Spectre, but there we go. Finally, now. We found something that that Moon Knight is good at, right? He can do killing. So he ends up driving a clock hand vertically down through Wilde's mouth into his body to kill him. Uh, And then the arc actually ends with a crescent-shaped pile of android uh, parts sort of just outside an entrance to the sewers with two metal skulls in it as well, showing that he has indeed managed to kill both wild and the nurse and kind of uh the remnants are just there uh kind of ready to be picked up yeah so
0: (laughs) i i will i will tell you that after not having any sort of resolution to the jeff wild arc during mark specter moon night i was surprised that he was somebody that came back so so quickly in these books but i think it was really well done actually it it, it was it was a character i guess i wanted a resolution on that i didn't really realize i needed a resolution on until we started seeing him and yeah he was every bit as like kind of over the top and grotesque and and crazy as as you would expect somebody who at least when we last saw him was kind of what was on his way to where he ended up. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I will say like, am I the only one that could not tell the difference between Moon Knight and Midnight? And I even had trouble with Taskmaster because Taskmaster actually kind of looked like Moon Knight and, and Jeff Wild at various points. And, and just because the, the costumes were similar and yeah as you noted the the costume between jeff wilde and moon knight the only difference really was whether there, there was a crescent symbol on the front on the chest or a clock on the front mm-hmm. it,
1: it yeah that was a little weird
0: it was it was it made it difficult sometimes because if you couldn't see their chest you would <laughs> i didn't know who it was i was looking at that is correct actually yeah, but but so... this was this was a good follow-up to 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 the to the first story I, I again it calls back to characters and situations that that we've seen before that made sense that that and and tying up a loose end that that we had from 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 past volumes
1: yep no i i think it was it was really well done um what what do you think about these you know these first twelve issues as like season two of the Disney Plus series? Do you think that would, <laughs> that would fly? <laughs> I
0: I I do not think that would work very well on Disney Plus. Yeah, no. I'm, uh, I'm
1: pretty sure this is uh this is not going to be to be adapted at least in its in its perfect form. On, but we
0: we uh, had Disney a new Plus. artist for these books. Yeah, right?
1: sure. Yeah, Miko Sawayan uh, did the art on the last few books. Um, number number nine was actually his first interiors job for Marvel Comics. And uh, he's worked on a number of Marvel books and the like. But this is, what a, what a first assignment. Like, hopefully they didn't show him what Finch was doing in the first few issues of this and then say, by the way, you're the follow-up guy to this as, as your first job. But... He did a nice, he did a nice job. It was, it was good work. I actually liked it. It's it felt, not jarringly it felt different.
0: Consistent. It, it felt consistent. Yep. Like, you know, it, we had Finch for the first part of this, this story. And then, and then he took over and it, and it, and it didn't feel demonstrably different.
1: No, it's uh, it was, it was, he still has that sort of ultra detailed, very vibrant style. Um, he's become very popular as a cover artist and has continued to be somebody who does a lot of really good stuff. So he's also another in a a long line of amazing comic artists to come out of the Philippines. Some of my favorites from back in the day, guys like Tony DiZuniga and Mr. Redondo, a bunch of other guys came out of there. So, um, but yeah, so that was a little bit different. We're changing out a little bit of the team. And then now the last book, we get yet one more change. So... Uh, that one is kind of a standalone story. Uh, this is the last, the last story written completely by um, by Charlie Houston. So standalone Civil War tie-in, and so Civil War. You know, you kind of know what that was about in terms of the movie.
0: Yeah, it's I, there's there's real, more to it than that, and I. Oh my
1: God, there's so much more to it than that in the comics. It's like huge. It's a massive event. But in general, it's it's got the same idea that there is, there are two different sides or factions in the Marvel universe. One wanting heroes to be registered with the government and act essentially as agents of law enforcement. Uh, and that is led by Tony Stark. And one that does not want that, does not believe in that uh, being required, led by uh, Captain America. And then they have a fight that spills out over the entire Marvel Universe for months and results in some unpleasant deaths and all sorts of things happen. But the long and short of it here is that right in the middle of his relatively linear run trying to do something with Moon Knight, Charlie Houston has to tie in a bunch of, of Civil War content just because. He does a great job of it, though, because what he does essentially is has Moon Knight submit to a psych exam with the government to see if he can get his license for being a a vigilante he knows as well as anyone that he's not going to pass the psych exam right and so because of that he knows he can't possibly pass that test and get his registration card but he wants to continue working as a vigilante so he cooks up a plan with the profile where the profile works up a profile of the person who he's almost certain is going to be the person who will interview him. And then once he's done there, he prefers this big dossier and uses a taped message from kind of a conshu that he's got on a tape recorder in his pocket that he smuggles in um, to use the evaluator's past against him and get him to believe that Kanshu the god, is talking to him and essentially telling him, to just do his bidding. And it works. The guy essentially bows down to Conchu, and um, he's broken. Gives Spectre his license, says, yep, you're good to go. Now you are, you know, a, a licensed uh, vigilante in New York. It's kind of a weird story, but it's also really interesting because you get to see a lot of psychology of what Houston thinks about Moon Knight. And I think that you can see in this that specter is using the evaluator and essentially pretending to be those other characters so that he can exhibit multiple personalities so that then he can use the conchu personality personality and i think it's it's almost certainly more of an act in this than it is something that's actually about about multiple personalities it's also very interesting how houston just in general looks at mark Spector as a person because i don't know if he thinks he's a particularly good guy what what do you think is when you read these books who do you think mark Spector is
0: that, that is that's is a tough question i i don't think he i i don't actually i think he thinks he's 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 not a good guy I think he thinks that he's he's doing this for kind of the love of you know kind of like he's Bushman but not really Bushman almost in that he's like a mercenary that like yeah he's saying it he's doing it for the right reasons but in all actuality I think he's doing it to quench some some thirst that he has and and that no matter how he you know tries to to shroud it in good that that's it's not really what he's there for i
1: i think that there's some there's some element exactly where when it comes down to it mark specter has two competing aspects to his personality that he can't get away from one of them is that he does seem to have an absolute love of violence and danger which leads him to just enjoy beating people up but he also has a moral sort of imperative which makes him seek out ways that he can kind of be violent while still being able to rationalize to himself that he's doing the right thing
0: yeah
1: and I, I don't know exactly but I think that if you if you think about like Dexter and, you know, you've got a serial killer who serial kills for good type of thing. It's almost the same thing with Moon Knight. That what, what Houston's giving us is somebody who is who is a dangerous man who likes to hurt people, but has found a way to put that into service for ostensibly better purposes, usually. Although, unfortunately, he can't really help hurting everybody, Including all of his friends and the people around him in the process. So we see a lot of his relationships having broken down. Mm. And, you know, the problems he has with John Paul, the problems he has with Marlene, he doesn't sugarcoat any of this. No. And I think that's one of the things I really like about Moon Knight over time is that I've always had problems with the fact that I love superheroes. But intellectually, I still under, understand that these are vigilantes operating outside of the law and doing things that really are not allowed in civil society. And Moon Knight at least attempts to deal with that in a way that a lot of the books just don't.
0: Now, e- even even the Moon Knight books of the past, like other other yep. authors in that, they, they just sort of... Yes, Marlene gets sick of being treated like garbage, but at the end of the day, she keeps coming back to him. Or or like, you know, friend nope. J.P. the same way. It's just, they're it is we i have talked about wanting to see these the heroes or villains i guess depending on how you know how you want to look at them seeing repercussions and having to deal with consequences to their actions and a lot of times they're not but this whole series seems to be built around the idea that hey there actually can be consequences to these actions and that there there are you know bad things can happen to these people even if they're trying to do it in in the name of good
1: yeah i would say that even over time compared to many other heroes or anti-heroes moon knight has suffered consequences more regularly than most
0: than others yeah I, i i could see that
1: so yeah it's but but so i really think that this book um issue number 13 is a brilliant coda to all the stuff that he was working on. The, the art by Tom Coker was really nice. Uh, Dean White did the colors. Um, Coker actually did this in style. It's sort of like a cross between almost like Sienkiewicz and Alex Maleev. It's another artist I like. It's a lot grainier. It's very different from the style we had in the first 12 issues, but it works incredibly well. I also want to note there was, a, there was a credit in issue 13 that you don't see very often in comic books because Don Cameron was credited for 3D models, which that's just not normal. So I had, I had to take kind of a little bit of a look at that and find out exactly what was going on. Uh, what, it, what it appears is that this is at least partially digital art. It looks like some of the backgrounds, like city backgrounds, things like that, Tom Coker may have used digital models to do the the backgrounds rather than draw that all out using traditional perspective and, and tools and things like that. Um, what's interesting about Cameron actually is that when I started looking at him, that actually sent me back to my comic boxes because he actually did the art on a book called Cyberella for DC back in the day, which was kind of a digital book. Um, and it reminded me the the art, both in this, once you start looking at the pixelization of it and stuff, or Cyberella, reminds me of going all the way back to like Mike Sainz and The Shatter Days, which was sort of the first actual um, digital produced comic. And it's weird because now a lot of comics are produced digitally. A lot of the, the artists don't actually use paper and pen. They just use a Wacom tablet or whatever. But you can't tell the difference. Whereas back when Sainz was doing stuff, producing it, on like a, a Macintosh plus in Mac Paint, it was basically bitmap, right? So it was it was obvious that this was not hand drawn art at that point. Right. Um, and and this was kind of somewhere in the middle. I think it was still relatively once you start looking for it, you can see the digital elements of issue 13, but it reads just fine without it if you don't think about it.
0: I, I but, don't... Yeah. Did not, would not have known. I'll have to go back and look a little bit. And, and, so. and I have
1: no I have no way of, of actually saying this is what happened. Mm-hmm. It's just that because there's a 3D models credit in there, it would seem that that would, uh, it, it's likely something like that's going on. So that's the end of the line for Charlie Houston as the primary writer, though. I think it's a spectacular way to go out. And when you look at the psychological elements and some of the other things that go on in, in this one, Thirteen is sort of an underrated gem of the Moon Knight era. It's it's actually one of my one of my favorite to the standalone Moon Knight books.
0: So the, the profile is one of the swarmiest characters I've ever oh, he's seen. he's awful. He is he's, he is terrible awful. through these books. It is. Yes. He he is disgusting. There's a there there's a part where he's trying to pick up this woman in a bar, and is just nope. as a terrible human being. And nope. and oh my! If gosh. indeed he is a
1: human being, I think, I think he's a mutant. If not, there's at least a, a number of rumors that he's a mutant. But because he's got to have some way to have this power.
0: Sure, I, su- I suppose so. Not just being really, really smart. It... That's
1: that's what he tries to play it off on. But I, I think there's a few things, even in the text of the, the books, um, that that implies that he's a mutant. It's also interesting when he actually looks at Moon Knight. Um, if he sees Mark Specter, he's fine and he can read him. When he tries to look at Moon Knight in his costume, right. he like vomits and he just can't take it because the the craziness of what he sees is too much for him.
0: Yeah, that's so, right. I for, I forgot about that. Something yeah.
1: supernatural. He implies there is something supernatural going on with Moon Knight that is just unexplicable. So,
0: so there we go. Yeah, that is that is the <sighs> stack for this week. This was this was something. This was something. What are what are the important stories and great reads from from this week?
1: Um, I mean, to me, Volume Five, issues one through six, which sort of brings the character back into the 21st century and redefines him, is is the equivalent for Moon Knight of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns for Batman back in the day. Because in the 80s, and we don't think about it now because Batman's like Batman, he's everywhere. But in the early 80s, Superman was actually more popular. He was the one getting the movies, and he had the TV shows and everything. And Dark Knight Returns really sort of helped to energize Batman fans gave him a different look at the character that had a different energy, kind of an edgy new way to to go with the character. And I think that Houston did the same for Moon Knight in, in this series because when you look at where Moon Knight was when we left him in Marvel Knights, the character was just adrift. Yeah. And ever since, really, kind of you even mentioned it, that you could see how this could be used to play out. Um, other people have now built off of what he made here and it's been just interesting great series one after another and each person who comes after now also seems to have kind of that freedom to just keep doing crazy things that houston did in the first place so they're they're going to build off of this
0: okay yeah i i'm in total agreement do not waste your time with marvel knights definitely read one through six of volume five It's great that it's on marvel uh, unlimited so if you have access to it that way but actually all 13 of these issues i think i think are are a good read and and worth your time i i do agree with you i think 13 even without knowing the breadth and scope of what civil war was because i i just don't have that background that was still a very very interesting and very good issue you
1: Yeah, I would. I would say that in terms of reading, if you're gonna bother reading Moon Knight, you want to read all of these. You know, this is this is some of the some of the best stuff you're gonna find. Um, but but if if I had to pick any of them, uh, I would I would jettison the Marvel Knights immediately and not worry <laughs> about that. And then one through six and thirteen would be the the top of the line, but that that story about midnight is also excellent yeah so
0: read all of it so a couple thoughts on what of these books might make it into the show i've been thinking about this a lot and the whole idea of we had a panel where he was with the punisher and the punisher called him out saying he was talking to himself and that was ostensibly when he was talking with the bushman khonshu Mm -hmm. uh hallucination i i have no doubt based on what we've seen so far that we're going to see mark slash stephen talking to himself during this series and that he's going to be thinking he's talking to khonshu and we know that that f murray abraham is doing the voice of khonshu so i I don't think this is a big stretch one thing i do think is a big stretch that i have now convinced myself is going to happen is we're going to see the punisher during the tv series i'm not sure why but given the number of times that moon knight has been around the punisher and he just keeps showing up in these books i have to believe that there's going to be a cameo of the punisher at some point during the series even if it doesn't make any sense to me right now whatsoever all right that would be cool
1: so yeah i'm I, i think that you know the mood the the idea of the whole—I don't really know what's going on. Where he's imagining things and then brought back down to a, a real world, um, and even the idea that that this is Moon Knight sort of at a low ebb. You know that he was—he was somebody and he was this hero and he'd been doing these things, and now he's kind of locked into uh, into a world where he's lost a lot of that. Does make sense to me. Um, yeah. I'm not sure exactly how they're going to handle that, but overall, though the the problem is that while there's probably going to be a lot of darkness, I don't think that it can be anywhere near as violent as these books and beyond Disney Plus. So one thing that will not come away from this, I don't believe, is carving you know crescents into people's heads. And and ripping people's <laughs> faces off. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to predict that probably e- even
0: with that. parental controls in the yeah. app, that even might be a bridge controls. too far. Huh?
1: I think I think that's not going to happen. So we well, we will see though. We will see. Um, there, I mean the if Jessica, I, I should note if Jessica Jones, I think Jessica Jones is on, isn't it?
0: It's going to be yes.
1: Jessica Jones. Some of the stuff that happens in that. Uh, that's, no, that's nothing nothing that happened in these books is worse than jessica jones who knows all right i'm all in he's ripping <laughs> off faces well, we'll see what happens
0: um let's briefly touch uh listener mail here uh before we wrap things up all right sounds good we had an email uh from noel thank you so much and and he actually linked uh soundcloud with some with some music that that looked was really cool that uh i definitely want to take a, and listen to a little bit more uh we had a follow-up from from our friend james who shared with us some really really cool pictures of his moon knight statue i i i know that you must have seen those those were those were fantastic
1: yeah there's a lot of some of the collectibles out there are just amazing i uh i have i've always been obsessed just with the paper stuff but some of those statues and the like, and, he uh, got a, a custom painting done and stuff like that. You can get some really amazing collectibles out there if, if you have the time to go looking for them and, and of course the money because statue collecting, if you think comic collecting is, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. it's, but, uh, yeah. And then, so that was, that was fun.
0: What was the, uh, what was the f- results of your poll question?
1: So the poll question was relatively overwhelming in in favor of ordering everything in between Moon Knight Volume 2 and Moon Knight Volume 3. So again the poll question was essentially where do you put your Mark Spector Moon Knights and we had one person who was a Mark Spector uh, Moon Knight strict alphabetical order person and we had six who were Put it in between Moon Knight two and Moon Knight three. Uh, I also am a Moon Knight two to Moon Knight three. Uh, I've got all my Moon Knights kind of in the same place. Although I completely understand uh, the idea for getting everything uh, alphabetical, it's my preferred way. But uh, some of the some of the things like this kind of break me a little bit, and I decided to put all my Moon Knights in one place together. So, so yeah, I was kind of surprised though. A relatively uh, a relatively strong victory for the putting them all with the other moon knights uh option so
0: well we've got another poll question for this week we we've actually dan you and i have been struggling as to how we wanted to handle the tv show recaps you know we have this where we're going through the comic books each week and and as you'll see by the the length of time on this episode Uh, Some of these are going to get rather, rather long. And so, uh, you know, we've been talking about how we handle that. And actually, we wanted to get some feedback from you, the listener, uh, as to how we should handle the recaps of the Moon Knight TV show. Do you want to see those as separate episodes uh, potentially released on either, say, a Friday uh, morning, two days after the episode airs or maybe the following Monday? Uh, as a separate episode so you have several days plus the weekend to potentially listen to the episode or watch the episode before you listen to our thoughts on it or do you want to see this as part of the regular Tuesday show that we release normally so that would probably extend the episodes out by at least another 30 minutes or so I would have to guess um because there's going to be a lot there that we want to talk about or do you have another suggestion that we have not thought of yet so those are those are some of the options let us know what you think vote in the poll we will have that on twitter you can also email us questions at phasesofthemoonnight.com and give us your your thoughts on this and we well, I'm not saying we'll definitely do whatever it is wins out on this poll. We will definitely uh, weigh that rather heavily in how we decide to to handle that going forward. So please let us know what you think, and and we'll tell you uh, what you told us on, on next week's show. All right. What are we, what are we looking at next week in the stack, Dan?
1: Next week we. Plug ahead with the rest of Moon Knight Volume 5. Uh, we're going for issues 14 to 30 and Annual Number 1. And then also uh, we're going to do Moon Knight Silent Night, just for the fun of it. Moon Knight and Santa. There you go. So
0: Is, the, is that real? Ri- is, is there?
1: I'm not going to spoil it for you. Oh, okay. I'm just okay. going to let you enjoy. So.
0: All right. Well... I want to thank you all for joining us uh, again this week. We really, really appreciate it. Love love all the uh, interactions and, and uh, engagement that we're seeing with the show. We'd love for you to stick around with us as we continue this journey through the history of Moon Knight. We'd recommend that you subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice. So you'll get each episode as soon as it's released. We'd love to hear feedback on the show and you could do that by leaving us a review on your podcast player of choice, or you can email the show at questions at phases of the moon night.com. Uh, for updates on the show, other announcements as well as to interact with us on social media. You can do that on Twitter. We are at phases of MK. Wow. Big show this week, Dan, thank you so much for, for setting me straight and, and suggesting, that I make sure to hold on until until volume 5. This definitely I think was worth the wait. Yep. Yeah,
1: been a lot of fun. And, and everything before it was fun too. Everything yes. after it is is going to be, but this is a changing point. This is kind of a uh we're moving into a a new era of Moon Knight now. So, good stuff. Welcome to it.
0: All right, until next week everyone. Take care.
1: Yep. See you later.